just took it really easy. I was meditating. I was, you know, really conscious and mindful about my movements and how I was moving through that day and not getting ahead of myself, just being exactly where I was. So the your mindset on race day two, if something goes wrong and you're behind your time or let's say you fall off your bike or you crash into a big mud puddle, like how are you going to, things are going to happen, but how are you going to relate to them? And if you're going to get crazy about it, well, just know that when you when you attach to that craziness and you become of it you're compromising everything you truly care about so this idea of practicing calm is in the face of just things that are going to happen and and you know waves of life and waves on race day how you navigate those is everything to how you're going to absorb your nutrients and how you're going to finish that day It's not just being strong at the end. It's like being strong and powerful all the time and being in in flow. And that's where real power is. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. This is episode 51, Fiverr, Winner. And this is our April edition of Ask the YTs. I got the beach here and Clark, of course. And we are going to be switching up the mics today, and BJ's going to do a bit of uh, an interview on me. He's going to drive the train today. But just one housekeeping thing that we want to announce. We are going to be switching our launch day of the week for the weekly show. So we're launching this tomorrow, which is Friday, April 28th. And then we will be launching not next Monday, but the following Monday. And that would be May 8th. And we're going to continue to launch on Mondays. We're just going to see how that goes. Something is telling us to switch that day of the week. So we're going to follow it because that's what we do around here. We follow our intuition. So let us know what you think about that, how you're swallowing up that change, and we'll see how things go on this end. But I think that's it for Housekeeping Beach. I'm going to turn the wheel over to you. Now it's in my court. Welcome people, followers, ultra runners, plant-based athletes, everyone who listens, we appreciate you joining us today. We just returned from a big weekend in Northern California, where we haven't visited yet. When we arrived in when we arrived in California, we started in San Diego and drove up north to find our place to settle in and we never went past San Francisco. And why was that? It got too cold. So we headed back down. <laughs> uh, but this gave us an opportunity to get up to Mendocino, California. It's absolutely beautiful up there. And when people told us there was a difference in Southern California and Northern California, like it was two totally different states, we were like, yeah, okay, we gotta see it for ourselves. And this past weekend we did, and it's absolutely true. It's so green and so vibrant, and you're right on the coast, at least Mendocino was, and it was such an experience to spend four, I think four days there, in prep for Jessica's, the head yogi, first experience with ultra running, her first 50K. So it was the Mendocino Ultra 50K, one of two vegan ultra runner ultra, ultra races in the US. And it's put on by Sid Garza Hillman, one of our favorite dudes who, if you don't know who he is, get on YouTube and search for Big Freaking Salad. You'll know who he is. 
so yeah, let's get into it. So we drove up on Wednesday and Thursday, and it's about a 10 hour drive from here. So Jess, how do you feel today, which is Thursday, so almost a week after the race, how do you feel? Let's start there. I feel good. I felt, I felt really good all week. I think I bounced really well. I was walking fine the next day. I really didn't have any lingering issues. The sides of my, like my vastus lateralis for those anatomy geeks out there was super sore. And I think that was from like the running downhill. So that was like, that was pretty sore, but calves were good, feet were good. I have a couple, I have about three very questionable toenails that I think are getting ready to transition. So I'm gonna just honor their process. I've been doing really well. Now that said, I've been feeling like a foundational layer of fatigue that I haven't necessarily been able to shake 100% yet. Although I feel really good right now because I got up early, went to the pool, felt like I was swimming through mud, but came back and had a big thing of oatmeal and then took a half an hour nap. And I think that really topped me off. So it's just like listening to that underlying fatigue and knowing that, you know, I want to stay in the game. I want to get back in the game. So in like 10 minute naps, five minute naps, half an hour naps, whatever I can do, it's also helpful in resting the physical body. Like resting the physical body is so important for coming out of this strong. And it's still in me, even though I feel good. I'm sure that all those miles are still in me. But overall, I have bounced so well from this and was feeling really good the next day. Yeah. And that's something we, our other two athletes who did the Boston Marathon about two weeks ago, they're sort of in the same boat in that they, you know, they're still feeling fatigued, but you get that itch to come back. Like you're like, okay, yeah, that was, that was good. I feel really good. I should start getting back into training. And that's when me, as your coach, will say, okay, let's give it a few more days. And then when you're really ready to go, we're going to say, give it a few more days. Yeah. I think it's like, it's almost like following the same rule as when you're sick. Like when you think that you're 100% back, wait another day. Um, because like I said, I know even though I'm not feeling it, I know that on the deepest level, like that race is still with me. So I just want to let that move out so that I can move into what's next. Awesome. Yeah. So how? So let's, let's paint a picture for how race morning was. Let's jump into to what was going on. We, we stayed, tell them where we stayed and how far it was from the race and... We stayed at the Stanford Inn, which is a fully vegan inn up in Mendocino, and it's about a two-minute drive to the race start. It was awesome. It was really awesome. The race started at 7.30, and at 7.15, we were still in the hotel room. Like, oh, I guess we should probably get in the car and get over there. Because once you take the two-minute drive, then you park, and then the starting line is maybe a a 90-second walk from the car. So... It is an awesome race. It is really, really logistically, it's awesome. Uh, So staying at the Stanford Inn, if you're thinking about doing this race next year in the future, absolutely stay there. It's amazing, especially if you have a pet, if you have a dog, because they take dog friendly to a whole new level. They left a whole dog set up in the room for us that included sheets, a towel, and his own personalized blanket, bowls, and sweet potato treats. It was pretty amazing. And you know, I love how they work it like they give you sheets because they're not stupid. They know the dog's getting on the bed. They know the dog's gonna get on the couch. So why not give you sheets to, you know, to cover up the furniture? 
And I had taken Clark down to the river the day before and let him just rip it and get wild and dirty and all of that. And I came back to this amazing, beautiful room that we were in where normally I'd be like, oh my God, like he's going to be all dirty. But I had the pet towel there already so I could wipe them all off and uh, let him dry out in the sun on the porch. He was also able to come into the dining room with us. The, they have an outer dining room and an inner dining room. He was able to come to the outer dining room with us. All of the food at Raven's restaurant is completely plant-based. It's just, it was such a great experience. Joan and Jeff Stanford, who own the inn, we got to meet them. I had talked to Joan on the phone prior to us going up there. And when I, when she heard my voice, she was like, Jess, and she came over and gave me a big hug. She totally rocks. And, um, and Jeff was there and he was really kind to open up his office. So he didn't know us. He was like, just use my office. And we did like a bunch of podcast interviews. So the whole experience was really amazing. Now that said, the grounds that the Stanford mm -hmm. Inn is set upon are so unbelievably powerful. There's so much life and vibrancy there that you just there's no way like there was no way that I was going into that race not 150% topped off like there was it was just there was so much support already there waiting for us um, before we even arrived so the grounds the inn and I think that was actually one of the questions we had wasn't it you want to jump into that question we'll, we're kind of like jump in and jump out of questions oh yeah heather uh wanted us to share the deets on the vegan accommodations please pretty please yeah and did you love the race yeah the deets um the deets are that <laughs> man this place is awesome they have uh, a pool that's in kind of like a huge greenhouse structure and you walk in and there's all these trees and palms and ferns and it's just absolutely beautiful and it's a small, it's like a 12 and a half yard pool, but it actually has like lap lanes. So you could potentially get a swim in there and a hot tub and they have a sauna and you get robes. So I was cruising around in my robe. It was, it was awesome. The Stanford Inn is, gets five stars on our list and I can't wait to go back next year. So if you want to hang out at the Inn with us, that's where we're going to be next april we've already committed we already told sid we'll be back and and the yeah. coffee for those coffee lovers out there oh coffee's so good the coffee is super good like really good yeah and the vegan scones and the ve vegan we were, scones and, and vegan muffins and breakfast is included so you get this amazing organic like vegan breakfast so i was able to get my pre-race breakfast in because they had pancakes on the menu and i didn't have to worry about them having dairy or eggs in them it was just, it could not be better for a plant-based athlete and a plant-based athlete running the Mendocino Coast 50K. That is the place to stay. Now that said, let us get our reservation before you guys book it out next year. <laughs> we want as many of you as possible to come join us. I'm even gonna jump into this race. It will be my first, uh, it will be my first venture at least that's what i'm thinking yeah but you'll totally i can't kill i mean it. i was there all day watching you and it's it, i just wanted to be to to be a part of it so yeah all right so that's the accommodations beautiful unbelievable stanford Inn. check it out online it's it's really i think jess gave it its due diligence it's an amazing amazing resort and it's got a beautiful location so and they have like a seven minute video on the home page watch watch that video like you'll just fall in love with it yeah yeah. So we'll see you there next year. Okay. So, all right. So race morning, you get to the race start. You said 90 seconds. Now you're at the race start and Sid's calling, counting down 10. Yeah. Like literally nine, I was like, oh, I should eight, take off my jacket yeah. and they're doing the countdown. 
Um, and then I just popped into the crew and it was it's just there's no show there's no hype it's so low-key it's a small race it's always going to be a small race that's what he says and yeah you just kind of count down 10 9 8 and everyone's doing it and then it's like all right one okay i guess we go now so we went and then off i went into the great unknown and so what was the first leg because there were six no there were five aid stations five there were five aid stations. Five aid stations. So the first trek, you went along the coast? The first trek, you... So it starts at Big River, right where... Just about where Big River meets the ocean. And you run along the coast in the headlands. And so that's more of like a... So I learned so much. And this kind of like a single file situation. So if next year, I'll definitely start further up because I was pretty far back in the pack, not knowing, you know, again, I don't really study the course very much. This is just me. I'm, I'm not recommending that you do that, but I didn't realize like, yeah, yeah, that's definitely like a single file situation for like the first three miles essentially. And then you go underneath this bridge and you go down this switchback and you cross your first creek and that's at three miles. And then there was like a big line of people. This is the other reason why if you're a faster runner, you kind of want to get up front because you got to do a rope climb up this rock face. And so there and only one person on the rope at a time. So there was a big line there and I was in line for like 20, 30 minutes. It was kind of cool because everybody was just chatting like people like I was talking to some girl about her tattoos and as you know I had just gotten my hair all the colors of the oh, yeah. chakra how could we not talk about your hair <laughs> so people were digging my braids how cool so what did you do it's, it's, we got to talk about your hair what okay. did you do with your hair well I've been wanting to up my badassery for quite some time now and it just as most things it just came into my awareness one day like okay you're supposed to do that you're supposed to find someone today I got online I found this woman here in Carlsbad that uses all vegan products and so I, and she was the only one right and so when you walk this spiritual path you just realize like you don't need to always like find a whole bunch of different people and interview people and make a list and find out who's best it's just like oh there's the vegan hair product girl like boom let's do it she got me in she came in early because of course like it was like three days before we were leaving. I'm like, can you dye my hair? I just said to her, I want to up my badassery. Uh, so can you get me in? She said when she got that text, she was like, I got to get this girl in. So she came in early for me on Wednesday, which is the day that we were leaving. She was like, what do you want to do? I'm like, dude, I have no idea. I have no idea what's in style. I have no, I've never like colored my hair. I have no, like, what do you want to do to my hair? And so we got to talking and she's like, well, we can do like some creative color underneath, like the underlayer. So then when it's up, like you'll see the creative color. And when it's down, you'll be like normal girl. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I like that. Like dual personalities. That works great. So then we got to talking more. I was essentially there for two and a half hours. And all we did was talk about mindfulness and meditation. Like it, like it was just amazing. She had just started meditating. We actually might even have her on the podcast. She's a total badass, like covered in tattoos, like just a beautiful, beautiful girl, really beautiful soul and has completely changed her life in the last year through meditation and mindfulness. Um, she's been vegan for 12 years and blah, blah, blah. So as we're talking and we're talking about all this mindfulness and stuff, she was like, what if we did the chakra colors? And I was like, dude, totally. Like, it's all about staying in flow. And I've been working with my meditation teacher with um, this technique 
where I balance out my chakras. And essentially what you do is I go into each chakra and I kind of like blow it out. It's awesome. So it's a technique that um, is passed down from teacher to student. So I've been blowing out my chakras every day to like get the flow really going in my astral spine, which is like your energetic spine, which is where your life force is. So I was like, heck yeah, we're doing the chakras. Let's do it. So when my hair is down, I'm normal girl. And then when my hair is up, I've got from the left side to the right, all the colors of the chakras. So red, which is the root chakra, orange, which is sacral, yellow, which is uh, solar plexus, that's your power, and then green, which is heart, blue, which is your throat, and then purple, like indigo, which is your third eye, and then violet, which is your crown chakra. So yeah, I was rocking that out. So that was a big point of conversation as I was standing in line to do the rope climb. Uh, But it was cool. And I was able to talk to some people just about being a little more mindful. They were worried because we were, you know, some of them were worried that we were waiting and maybe they wouldn't make the cutoff. And so it was kind of cool. I mean, there's always an opportunity to teach and connect with people. So I liked that. Um, It was no big deal, whatever. I don't get caught up in the time. Everybody was waiting. So what are you going to do unless you were the guy that won, you know? And then uh, from there, you hit your first aid station like around four and a half. And I heard you, you were down there. I saw Clark, of course, the beaming light. And you were like, careful, it's really muddy because it had rained the night before. So it was pretty muddy. And that was a great warning because I was kind of cruising at that point and hit the first aid station, felt awesome as I should have. And then was heading out, you go through a campsite and then I saw Sid and he was like, so what do you think? I'm like, I think I'm done with triathlon. He's like, yeah, you are, but I'm not saying that for real. And you'll find out why. But he was like, all right, we'll just keep, you know, hit the trail and you look great. And uh, there's a waterfall up, you know, there'll be a waterfall in a couple miles. I'm like, that's going to suck. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, it's awful. And then you enter into what I call Fern Grotto, which is just it was so it was so unbelievable. You had two colors in there. You had well, three colors in there. You had this vibrant, vibrant green of the fern, like ferns I had never seen before, just amazing. And the leaves on the trees, and then you had the dark, dark charcoal and the brown of the path, you know, the trail, and then the trees. And then you would have like the bright white light of the, like the sun coming in. It was, it was just unbelievable. So after you go along the coast, couple miles into the woods you hit the waterfall which is pretty magnificent and then the trail takes you up to the top of the waterfall equally as magnificent and then you go into the redwoods and you're in there for I mean you're in there for 17 miles I was after aid station two yeah you're kind so after aid station one you're in the woods and then you pop out and then you hit aid station two which is about eight and a half miles in and then you're really deep in the woods and then you start climbing okay that's the last so, time we saw you was, that's the last time i yeah. saw you a lot of climbing uh and up until um the third aid station which is your drop bag location so i get to the drop bag location and my socks were wet my shoes were wet and i'm a total rookie And I don't know what I'm doing, right? Like, I can't stress that enough, you guys. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never run this race before. So I would watch people. As I caught up with people on the trail, I was pretty much alone. But as I caught up with people on the trail, I was like, okay, they're walking, so I'll walk. You know, I just, 
And I had in my mind the whole time BJ's direction, which was like, I don't want your heart rate spiking. I want you to run the last 10 miles really strong. So some of these climbs, like the pitches were pretty steep. So, and then also, you know, you're climbing over trees, you're going under trees, you're avoiding the stinging nettles, you've got poison oak that's overhanging on the trail. So all these like super awesome obstacles, like it's just such an adventure. So then I get to the drop bag location, which is around 15, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna change my socks. Like, I, there were chairs, and I'm like, I'm just gonna sit down and change my socks and get nice warm socks and have some food, and we'll, we'll talk about the nutrition, because I know there's a, mm-hmm. a question on the nutrition. And nobody else is doing what I'm doing. They're just cruising through. So I was like, okay, so for a 50K, maybe you don't like pull the whole Western states, get your chair, and you know, sit down and eat and take a nap. But I took my time, I didn't, I didn't really care. At this point, my watch is like dying, which is funny, I love you that. You were freaking out, right? Because you, you, <laughs> yeah. you have to have that yeah. watch. No, I wasn't freaking out <laughs> at all. Um, so I changed my socks and start running again. And the people who had passed me at the aid station, I passed almost immediately. And probably a couple miles after that, there's just this random guy in the woods reading a book in a chair. This was kind of like throughout the race. And you knew like you were, he was a part of the race at some point, but it was just always very random. (laughs) And he was like, oh, at the speed limit sign, which is an interesting thing to have in the middle of the woods, at the speed limit sign, take a right and then you're going to cross a creek. And I was just laughing because I had taken all that time to, you know, I was like, oh, I've got brand new Belega socks on, they're pink and they're dry. And I look and I'm like, well, maybe it'll be like the first creek, which I was able to kind of navigate without getting too wet. And I look at the creek and I'm like, oh, there's no way. So and I had heard other runners along the way talking about, you know, you just got to you just get your feet wet. And of course, I've watched so many ultra runner videos that you just kind of jump in the water. And that's what you do as an ultra runner. So I was like, well, um, I'm going to be an ultra runner today, damn it. So I'm just going to cross this creek. And it was about knee deep and it felt so good. It was freezing ice cold water and I just went right in with my socks and my shoes and came out the other side my feet were completely numb for I would say about a mile but it felt awesome like anything any kind of inflammation or anything like fatigue that was building was completely gone it was so awesome like I could I actually kind of stood there and I took a couple breaths Um, And then you're in the redwoods for a while and that's where you're doing a lot of your climbing and the first set of like switchbacks down, I was able to run all of that. And then you hit, you start climbing again. I thought the climbing was done, but we actually did hit aid station four in there. I thought the climbing Mm -hmm. was done at this point, but it was not done at all. It was not done at all. Like now you've got the course map up and I can yeah. see had I studied it, I would have. 18 to 21-ish. Yeah, that was all climbing. All mm-hmm. And it was steep. It was really steep. And and again, I'm just all by myself. And my watch now is completely dead. So it was gone. So, And there's no mile markers, which I love. So not only is it the unknown because I've never done it before, it's the unknown because now I have no watch, I don't know what time it is, and there's no mile markers, so I don't even know where I am. And anyone else probably would have been like, oh, aid station four is at this mile, but I really didn't know. I knew there was five aid stations, so if I had hit four, then I was doing pretty good, right? And then the last 10 miles, you you have to come down again, and at that point, the 
those vastus lateralis were like, woo, they were like on fire. So I kind of fat, like I found a pace where I could kind of like fast walk. It was, it was interesting. Um, and then I was able to, you know, to run on the, on the flatter parts. So I just ran when I could, hiked when I had to. Um, I took a massive digger in this huge mud pit because there was so much mud. There was like the mud was hiding roots and rocks and things like that. And I caught my shoe on a root and I went airborne. But I landed in this huge pile of mud, which was totally awesome. It felt like I was diving into bed. So that all worked out great. I was like, I landed and I was, my face, everything was just completely muddy. And I was like, that was awesome. And I just said, thank you so much. I said that out loud. Thank you so much. Because there could have been many other times where I fell. I could have fallen in poison ivy or stinging nettles. But this was perfect. It was like falling onto a muddy pillow. And then the last 10 miles is along the river and it's totally flat. It is so hard because your legs are fatigued, but it's flat. So, and it's the last 10 miles. So at least from my perspective, I wanted to go as fast as I could. And what was happening was I felt like the tension, like coming up from my feet, I was like, just, it was like vines wrapping around my legs and they would get to a, get to a point where I was like, I would have to stop and I would do kind of like this yoga, like halfway lift thing and a, like a little cat cow in my low back. And then I would do like a little pump in my knees to get my hamstrings mobile again. And then I was good. And during that time, I also did that Kriya to blow out my chakras a couple more times. And that really helped to get the flow going again. And then around mile I had six miles to go and the only reason I know this is because you showed up on the trail and I was like that you're a really nice sight to have because I didn't know where I was or how far I had to go I knew there was one more aid station to hit I was itching to get out there so it, it really wasn't a big yeah really wasn't um, a big deal for me I just wanted to come out and see you too it was so I awesome not seen you for hours and you totally got me to pick the pace up uh, you said to me what what do you have and as soon as you said and I was like all right what do I have and I knew I had another gear so I hit that next gear and um we took it in as as fast as I possibly could go we hit the last aid station which it was 4.8 miles to the finish got to the aid station I fueled up a little bit hammered down some of that v fuel which I actually liked and we took it into the finish and then uh being the awesome husband that you are you ran ahead so you could get out of my way because you know I'm not sharing that finish line with anyone <laughs> we're not holding hands no not you're crossing. not you're not going down no, that shoot with me I know that there's not even a shoot it's just <laughs> but there's this part where you're running and you I mean I've just been in silence all day I've been in the unknown all day I haven't known where I was <laughs> or I didn't even know how long the race was actually you captured that on video like I'm in the last six miles I'm like I don't how long is the race is it 30, is it 30 31. miles, 32 miles? And we then just, we heard that it was actually a 32 mile course. So I guess it was 32 miles. And there's this point when you're running along big river at the end, it's so, it's so like, it happens so fast. All of a sudden I could hear Sid's voice and I was like, oh my God, like I'm close, you know, because every mile feels like a marathon. And then you come around this bend and all of a sudden I saw the tents. <laughs> I was like, holy crap like I 
am going to do this. Not that there was any doubt in my mind that I was going to do it, but the reality matched in that moment, the reality matched the vision and it came together. And then I, I had another gear and I kicked it in for like the last mile and a half or two miles and you just gave me the runway and people were just like cheering and Sid was underneath the tent and he was just like pointing at me as I was coming in and then he gave me a big hug and a high five and and uh, I don't know how he knew but he's like I heard you bit it and you just got up and you kept going and well your whole backside your whole <laughs> was back covered right in mud. side was covered in mud <laughs> so but, you might have had a little bit of an idea yeah but it was a uh, it was you were really... flying down that last section. I have it on video. And you were cruising and you were focused. Yeah, I was very focused. Yeah. I was, my mental game was so on point. So on point. It's, it's like my physical has to catch up with my mental game now. Like, I got, I got the 90% on race day. Yeah. I got, I got that. It's so awesome. So I really enjoyed I really, really enjoyed the experience. It was very enriching. It was what I had envisioned as being fearful, like being out in the woods by myself. So I just want to say, like, I want to make it very clear that I had to move through, a, I had to get to the other side of a lot of fear through this process. Um, and I just kept doing it. I just, it never it never stalled me when the fear would come up and the fear was honestly about like being out in the woods and being torn apart by a mountain lion like i don't know what it, it must have happened there's got to be a part of my soul that remembers this happening in some other life but it was very very real and there are signs yeah and, by the race and, start and by the say. way there are mountain lions and bears <laughs> out there and yes they have been known to attack so it's you know it's it's not so much false evidence appearing real, but again, it's fear that um, in the moment is completely not relevant. It's not relevant because in the moment, when I'm out on the trail and I'm training and I get this fear that there's gonna be a mountain lion, what's well, completely irrelevant because there is not a mountain lion in front of me. So what I've been working on with my meditation teacher, and I teach a lot of different techniques, okay, for getting to the other side of things like anxiety and fear and all of that. And, and all of those techniques are super helpful. But the one technique that we're now working with me on is in those moments, all I do is practice being calm. That's all I do. So it's an inaction. So if anybody's read the Bhagavad Gita, they talk about action and inaction. This would be an inaction. So even in the face of a mountain lion staring me down on the trail, I am calm. And that's really where I got to a point in my training where I was, I was really confident that if that situation happened, I remain calm. And so what happened when I was out there by myself which again like some of the ways that i would talk myself you know out of fear or whatever i'd be like well it's a race i'm gonna be out there there's gonna be people on the course like there was nobody out there there was nobody on the course i was completely by myself oh the random guy in yeah, the lawn random, chair the random book. guy in no, the redwoods i know and i was like oh all i want to do is grab my journal and like come out here and just journal for hours but the thing that I was fearing was exactly what I ended up being in. However, I was at complete peace all day. And that doesn't mean that my body didn't have 
stress on it. Of course it did. But I was just so just locked into this calmness that I was riding this neutrality throughout the day that um, even as I caught up with people on the trail, I would catch up to random groups every now and again. And, you know, obviously if I caught up to them, then I was moving faster than them. So I would move through them. But like there was this one point where I was like, oh, it'd be so nice to just hang out with these people and talk. But I caught up with them and they were just, oh, oh, my leg is killing me. Oh, my hamstring. And I was like, I can't. That's not neutrality. I can't be around that. I have to keep going. I have. I want to. I want to hang on. I want to guard this piece with my life, and that's what I did. So, it was. Uh, it was a really enriching experience. I learned so much uh, about the work that I've done through meditation and how powerful that now is. How many pathways I now have open to be my new automatic behaviors. And I also learned so much physically about, you know, things that we can do in training, uh, you know, definitely more hiking and running combos and, um, you know, some different things that we can do in training. So I, you know, it's, it's about meld, taking those two worlds and putting them together so that I can be the highest functioning athlete and human being that I can in, on my path. Well, you're well on your way. Like you've got the boxes ticked for the most part, right? Mm. Would you say? I got the boxes ticked. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's more boxes. I'm sure there's more boxes I don't know about, but you, know, but, I have no plans to do anything else than to tick those too. Right. But this is all leads from also your history of endurance sports and triathlon. Mm-hmm. And let's just say that you are continuing to train for the Santa Rosa 70.3 in two weeks. So leading into this ultra You've also had to bike and swim, which is great cross-training. I want to just give a huge kudos to runners because I don't know how you do it without swimming. I mean, and I could say the same thing about biking because like those recovery bikes and the, and the spins were so good, but I would do my long run, which you always, you did have me hiking, like you would have me do my long run and then I would hike for like 30 minutes after the run, but I would be like pretty shelled and I would go to the pool and do like an hour, hour 15, just like recovery swim, drills, pulling. And it was amazing. It was like getting a massage. So that's something I never, I never want to lose that cross training. So if you're a runner, uh, and maybe if you're having any issues, nagging issues, like think about getting in the pool as a cross training, because that was amazing. It also fills the the gap when you have maybe a niggle or something holding you back that you know you've got some plantar fasciitis or your knee is acting up there are things that you can do in the pool that will continue to build your endurance yet not fatigue your body or put stress on your body and and let that injury or whatever that thing is acting up let it let it heal a little bit so swimming is such a great option cycling too you know it's less stress on your joints than running is because running is such a hard impactful motion so it was almost good that you had this 70.3, you know, in the in the queue. In the queue, but I would have had you do that stuff anyway, yoga, swim and bike. It's just good cross training. It's just good to keep it, the it body was, moving. It was so supportive. Uh, number 1, trail running is a completely different sport. Totally totally different sport. You know, I do a lot of these things blindly. Like I had a vision of me finishing this ultra marathon back in August, it came in. I was like, okay, just like moving to California, just came in. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm doing that. 
just totally blind jumped into this training and realized like, oh, this is a totally different sport. This is a totally different sport. I have learned how to crash and get up and shake it off and keep going. I mean, I've had some pretty pretty hard falls during my training runs. It's like it's like mountain biking without the bike. You know, like you gotta keep your eyes on the road because the littlest thing will take you down. And um, it's a totally different sport. So I'm using, it's not just like getting on the pavement and going straight, it's totally different. So I was like having to use different parts of my body that I didn't have to use before. And then just to talk about the niggles, I had a major, like I was on the verge of a, a major injury and it had been something that had been building for about a year and I've been like keeping it at bay, keeping it at bay. And it's essentially, again, for those geeks, it's right at the insertion point of my sartorius on the medial side of my knee. It's just been tender, tender, tender. And I actually don't necessarily think it's been my physical triathlon training that aggravated it so much. I actually am pretty sure that it was sitting in lotus position for 45 minutes every single day with a tight body in meditation. And it might sound funny that you get injured in meditation, but a lot of people do, especially athletes that are super tight and then I'm sitting in lotus. So the sartorius is also known as the tailor muscle. So if you think about taking like your foot and crossing it over your knee, like if you're gonna go into a figure four, that's a contracted sartorius. So if I'm sitting in lotus position, I'm sitting with a contracted sartorius. It was already aggravated, and towards the beginning of the training, it was it became very clear like, you're not gonna to get to this race if you don't tend to this. So then of course there's that whole like, oh my God, you know, there's that whole part of your mind that can open up to like, what if this is more serious? What if this is a meniscus thing? And then it's like, you can't, you can't you go just, there. You practice being calm. That's right. all I did. I just practiced being calm. Went to run club one night, went to a speed workout, heard this guy saying, oh, I just went and saw Dr. Lou. She, oh, she's awesome. And I was like, who's Dr. Lou? So again, like I don't need to interview a whole bunch of people. She came into my awareness. It was very clear I was supposed to meet her. Went down to Solana Beach. This woman is a complete ninja. And she confirmed that my sartorius was shortened. It was in a contracted state. And it was re really in deep need of being opened up and tended to because I was on the verge of a pretty big injury there. So not only am I training for this brand new sport while I'm training for a half Ironman, but I'm also tending to my, you know, I'm doing the due diligence in my body. So I went to see her. I got several ART sessions. She's also a chiropractor. So she would adjust me, um, do the ART, which is Ironman's got nothing on ART. That is the most intense treatment that I have ever received but again it's just all back to practicing being calm in the moment of extreme sensation and she kept me healthy they gave me exercises and I did those diligently so that when I showed up on the starting line I was good to go and it doesn't mean that that issue with my sartorius is 100% gone but I would say um, it's so much better that during that it is possible to go further than you've ever gone and be healing at the same time like I was healing at the same time it was so amazing and on race day it gave me no issue 
whatsoever. Well, you didn't give it any attention. And I also did not give it any attention. And not in a way of like, I'm ignoring that. No, you let it come in. It was neutrality. Right, exactly. You know, I would redirect my focus. So, but actually that spot um, that I can feel right now pulsating because I'm talking about it, right? Like I'm talking about it. I'm giving it food right now. I can feel it's like pulsating. It's like, oh, me? Me? You talking to me? Like, But she's oh. taking one for the team right now because she's sharing her experience so everybody can understand yes. that you don't have to give it attention. You don't have no. to. No. And anytime anything showed up on race day, uh, you know, I, I had this random, you know, what happens, like something totally, you're like, whoa, what's that? I never felt that before. Like I felt the classic IT band on the outside of my right knee. And I just... Your attention is there, obviously, because you're noticing it. And I just redirected my attention. And for me, what I do at this point in my on my path is I go put all my focus into my intuitive eye, which is the center of my forehead, just above my eyebrows. And then it's amazing. Like, it goes away. And this is something I've been practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. So it's my body was like ship shape. I felt really, I felt really good. And again, it was under extreme stress, but I didn't feed anything. Right. I never fed it. I tended to it. I did the due diligence. I said, okay, I can't run anymore. I'm just going to walk here. I didn't get emotional about it. That's the thing. You get emotional about it. There's your anchor. It's like, you know how when Spidey like shoots his little anchoring things out of his hands spider-man you're talking spider-man about? yeah right. it's like that when we start when we feel something go oh my god my knee boom spidey like you just like you spidey it you just get yourself like oh boy attached to it and yeah. then you feed it but i also think that you got to it early enough like you started feeling something and then you started to see uh, i would i would beg to differ I well would early differ early in the realm of it had been a year that i'd been feeling it right <laughs> but you knew you had this race coming up which was a distance that you had never done before and i was determined to get yeah, to the finish right. line yeah so I, I also think that sitting in a car for seven thousand miles didn't help so think talking about a finish line yeah what was the post party mm. food like at the Mendocino 50K, because this is one thing that was was pretty pretty important to us in a race. Yeah, and I think I've mentioned it on previous podcasts that one thing that really gets my goat is when I finish a race and the post-race food is just poison. You know, it's cheap pizza, it's just gross. So like even when we finish Iron Man, just gross food, but they'll have oranges and grapes. And so I grab oranges and grapes and then go back to the room and we make our own food. And I never get that. I, I just, that, that disconnect is so odd to me that you would refuel your body with, with crap. It's, I don't get that. It's like putting dirty oil in your car. Why would you do that when your car is in desperate need of an oil change? Like, why would you do that? Anyway, the Mendocino Coast 50K is a totally different situation. They had a burrito bar, which was catered by the Stanford Inn, and it was awesome. It was like a huge vat of like pinto beans and brown rice and this amazing cashew cheese sauce and salsa um, and lettuce and tomato, fresh vegetables. They had gluten-free wraps, um, chips. It was just great. So you got your salt, you got your protein, you got some whole grains, you got the tomatoes, like the lycopene and the tomatoes is so good good you got the lettuce which is you know hydrating it was just it was so awesome 
And the wraps were like ridiculously big. Sid was giving me a hard time because I didn't do a burrito, but I saw people like trying to manhandle these burritos. They were so big, people were having blowouts everywhere. And I'm talking about their burritos, not their bodies. So I did a couple burrito bowls. Like I did one big packed burrito bowl and then I took another one back to the to the room and it was awesome. It was just, I think that what you put in your body after a race is has such a huge impact on the way that you can bounce. So I ate two burrito bowls and then we went down to the restaurant that night and all I wanted was vegetables. I had a beet salad, like um, just those beets, like the bright red dark beets. That's so good for building blood in your body. And I had snap peas and a massive piece of vegan carrot cake. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> was I remember so that. Good. Yeah. It was so good. So yeah. What was, um, so back to Susanna's questions because we're talking about food right now. Cause that, uh, I don't think we addressed Susanna's question. Hi, Susanna. Hi, Susanna. Uh, way to go, Jess. We Thank would you. love to know how you fueled hydrated vegan style for the 50K. All right. Keep up the awesome work. So we talked about after and your recovery, but what did you do during the, the ultra in terms of food and hydration? Yeah, so, well, let's start with, you wanna start with race morning? Yeah, you can start with race morning. Yeah, race morning, we've got our perfected recipe of, and it varies depending how long the race is. It varies in the quantity, but it's applesauce, a scoop of vanilla, Garden of Life, plant-based protein powder, and a banana. And I ate that at 4.30 in the morning. I get that in my body three hours before the start. So I woke up at 4 made my breakfast had 24 ounces of scratch in my in my bottle drank that ate the applesauce banana combo and did that by 4 30. and then i'll just go into what i did that yeah, morning yeah. and then i had plenty of time so i did a 45 minute meditation and did my race visualization which i know there's a question on visualization we'll get into that i did my race visualization and then I went back to bed and I slept until 6.30. It was awesome. I went back to bed and just crashed. And then we got up and usually I will eat, depends on how I feel. I'm really loose with this second fueling, but 15 minutes before the start is when I would take in like part of an Amrita bar or something like that. And actually I did a half a banana 15 minutes before the start. I've been training for this race with whole foods. So I've been training with potatoes and I've been training with bananas. And we've also been using glucose, which is a vegan, it's like the techno food, it's vegan chews and gels, but I haven't really used a lot of that. I've been using a lot of whole foods and I really wanted to embrace the whole foods during this race. So I had the banana about halfway through, I mean, I'm sorry, about 15 minutes before the start. And it's an interesting race. You really gotta, I really listened to my body as opposed to my watch. Because three miles in, I stood for half an hour. So I was like, I'm standing here for half an hour. Like I'm not moving, but I should still, I should eat something because the clock is still ticking. And then of course, the importance of knowing your body as opposed to relying on your watch for I have to eat because my watch died. So good thing I was listening. So in my pack, I had little ultra, the ultimate direction, ultra Vesta, which I have mixed feelings on. 
And I think it might be my rookiness. I think I still need to dial in the fit on it. I've got mixed this feelings. This is your hydration backpack hy- hydration for ultra pack. runners. We'll yeah. go into more detail in a, in a product review later on. Product review. Yeah. Uh, so in that, I had two Amrita bars and I had a glucose. Uh, what A glucose bag of like fruit chews. And so I had half the Amrita bar and I used the mango coconut, which I usually use the pineapple chia, but we didn't have pineapple chia. So I just used mango coconut. And I love those. They're dairy-free, soy-free, peanut-free. I love Arshad, who is the owner of the company. I love his story. He created it because his son is autistic and they cleaned up his diet. And it's just a beautiful story. It's the whole company was born from love. And so that to me is perfect alignment. I love Amrita. It means uh, nectar, Amrita. Well, it's just all good. That's not all good. No, it is all good. In that, in that, <laughs> we're told not to say all good. Yeah, we've been talking about that, how people say, "Oh, it's all good." It's actually not it's all not good. It's not really all good. No, so it's just don't say it. It's life. It's not all good. But these Amrita bars are all good, and they're date based. I really, I love them. So I've been training a lot with those. I've been training for years with Amrita bars, actually. So I had with the f- first eight and a half miles, I ate about one and a half of those Amrita bars. And then starting at the aid stations, I started taking bananas. They had bananas that were cut into like thirds. So it was perfect. I would grab a banana. So at the aid stations, they had peanut butter and jellies, which I love peanut butter and jelly. They had chips, which I love chips. However, I have learned that eating chips and running don't always agree with me. So I had to be really conscious about that. And they had bananas, and then they had V-Fuel gels and V-Fuel electrolyte and water. So when I got to 15 miles, I had a P&J because I realized like I'm still in in the going up phase and I'm not running to a point where you know, my heart rate is high or anything like that. So I, I can digest this peanut butter and jelly. It's going to give me a lot of caloric density. It's going to give me some fat. It's going to give me protein. It's going to give me the sugar from the jam. So I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. So I had the peanut butter and jelly and I grabbed a, quarter, a third of a banana and I had that. And when my um, Amrita bars were done. I finished the two Amrita bars. I never reached for the glucose because I just kept working with the bananas. And then I was drinking, I had two soft bottles in my pack. I had one with scratch, a lemon lime scratch or pineapple scratch and one with water. And I'm really glad I had those with me because I was, I was drinking a lot. So every, about every mile or so, maybe a little bit less, I was drinking. And again, I didn't have a watch. I didn't know how many miles I had gone for a lot of it. So I was really going on on feel. And then at mile 18, I had picked up in my drop bag, I had just received a shipment of this super fine, super pure cacao from our friend Nola, who's been on the podcast. The cacao queen. Yeah, the cacao queen. And this stuff uh, comes from a cloud forest in the Mayan highlands in Guatemala. It's all hand-picked and peeled and done with love. And these beans are so powerful and they're ceremonial grade. They're really, really good. And you were there. You've been there. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. 
So I had the cacao beans with me and I've trained with these beans before too. I know they're super powerful. So I know you got to like, I got to ride like a really sharp edge between getting cacao high, which is essentially like, it's not caffeine, but it will like, it will pump you up. So I took four cacao beans at mile 18 and then, uh, I took like three more cacao beans, probably around mile 23. And then when I saw, picked up with you, I think I had had like three more. So I probably had like 12 cacao beans in the course of like 10 miles. And then for that last aid station, I had another third of a banana. I picked up a peanut butter and jelly and immediately was like, I don't want this. So I made you eat it. And (laughs) because I knew I I was- I choked it down. I knew I was going to be pushing it. (laughs) And so pushing it and having a peanut butter and jelly in, and they were cutting fours, you know, like how your mom used to do it, like cut them in quarters. Um, I knew that pushing it and having a P and J in my belly was not going to work well. I mean, the banana was pushing it at that, but overall I had no nutritional issues whatsoever. And I've just used the plan that I've used, you know, a loose plan in my mind that I've used through Ironman and, and my, all my racing, which is like eat every 45 minutes, drink every 10 minutes. And so this was definitely more loose. I was doing it way more on feel and I was eating whole foods and I had no problem at all. So I've trained with the bananas. I've trained with the cacao beans. The cacao beans are so going to be a staple for me. They're really powerful. They're easy on my belly. And yeah, they pack a massive punch, but you got to chew the heck out of them because they're big beans. They're so good. I think a lot of success that comes from the race day strategy nutrition plan that we have comes from our daily diet. I really believe that since we day in and day out eat well, eat healthy, are conscious of what we're putting in our mouths, when it comes to race day, I feel like we are set up for success pretty much no matter what we put in our body. And I know we're conscious of it on race day, but we're able to absorb real foods. We're able to absorb the glucose or the energy, what uh, gels, whatever's, whatever's on course or whatever will fuel us to give us that extra sugar. I feel that our day in and day out daily nutrition is a big foundation for allowing those foods to be easily processed and not have too many hiccups. I guess along the way. It's absolutely a foundational piece. I think another piece, which is a heavy influencer on, was a heavy influencer on my experience on that race was just how calm I was. I had no, zero anxiety leading up to the race. I mean, like you asked me the night before, like, are you nervous at all? And I, my answer was, it would take an enormous amount of effort for me to be anxious because I understand what a waste of energy that is. And when you're anxious about something, all you are doing is creating it. You're, what you're anxious about is now what you are creating. And if you're anxious about your time, you're expending energy being anxious about it, all you're doing is compromising your time. All you're doing is compromising your physical ability to perform to your highest level. And the other thing is that when we're anxious, when we're nervous, when we're indulging, and I'm not saying that like, don't be anxious, don't be nervous. It's, are you indulging that? 
Or are you saying like, oh, look at you, anxiety. All right, well, why don't you come on in? Well, I'll make you a cup of tea and we'll hang out. Like, I'm just going to hang out until you want to leave. So you don't get emotional about it. And when I say you don't get emotional about it, meaning you don't say, oh, here's the anxiety. Now I'm anxious. Okay. And then it's like spidey, right? You're just like launching up and climbing up that building of anxiety. So... What happens is that that's a major stressor on the body. And the first one of the first things that stress is going to affect on your body is your digestion, your ability to absorb nutrients from the food you are taking in. So I hammered the veggies hard as I normally do right up until Thursday night. Friday, I did pancakes, um, vegan pancakes. I did um, pita and hummus. I had roasted a whole bunch of red bliss potatoes. I ate a bunch of potatoes on Friday. Pretzels, fig bars. Pretzels, some um, some vegan organic fig bars. That night we found a place that had pasta. I did just some penne and red sauce, so super easy. Um, Some loading up on some carbs on Friday. And again, like I just took it really easy. I was meditating. I was you know, really conscious and mindful about my movements and how I was moving through that day and not getting ahead of myself, just being exactly where I was. So the, your mindset on race day two, if something goes wrong and you're behind your time, or let's say you fall off your bike or you crash into a big mud puddle, like how are you going to, things are going to happen, but how are you going to relate to them? And if you're going to get crazy about it, well, just know that when you when you attach to that craziness and you become of it you're compromising everything you truly care about so this idea of practicing calm is in the face of just things that are going to happen and and you know waves of life and waves on race day how you navigate those is everything to how you're going to absorb your nutrients and how you're going to finish that day it's not just being strong at the end. It's like being strong and powerful all the time and being in, in flow. And that's where real power is. Yeah, the race is just the icing on the cake. Yeah. That's just the prize, I guess you could say, for doing the work every single day. Mm-hmm. So back to Tara's question. Tara just wanted to know, where were there aid stations during the race or did you have to carry your water? I think we addressed that. Yeah, there was five aid stations, but they were at varying distance. So it's not like Ironman where it's like every, every mile. mile. Like the first one right. was four and a half miles. The second one was eight and a half miles. The third one was 15 miles. The um, fourth one was like 20 something miles. And then the last one was 4.8 miles out from the finish. So you do the math on that. But they were stocked, like I said, with food, uh, whole foods. I could have gels, so I had everything. I had everything I needed, and then I was I was packing. Yeah, too. I think the pack is important to have because for that very reason of waiting by the waterfall, like you needed to have something. Yeah, because you know if you're going to be there for five minutes or thirty minutes. And yeah, it's, and I needed right. I needed to be drinking when I'm when I'm running. You know, sometimes those four miles, you know, took. I don't know, like 50 minutes and sometimes four miles took over an hour. It depended on the terrain. So having food with me to fuel along the way was super important. I couldn't just, it's not like Ironman or marathons where you can rely, at least for me, I couldn't rely just on what was, I needed stuff in between. Great. 
All right, so let's let's get to Maggie's question. Okay. Hey, did we cover the race? Did we cover? Did we cover all the details? questions? Yeah, we got um, Maggie's question and then Dirk's question, which I want to save to the end. Okay. But we got Maggie's question, which is uh, Maggie Rush, who was a guest on our podcast, professional triathlete. Thank yeah. you, Maggie. We love you. We uh, do. We, we do, do love her. We met her in Asheville, and <laughs> now she's in Boulder. Yeah. And hopefully we'll meet up again. Oh, yeah. I think we're all racing Boulder Peak together. Whoop, whoop. Sweet. All right. So Maggie asks, I love your Ask the YT segments. Thanks, Maggie. Here's mine. I've started to get interested in pre-race visualization after listening to the podcast Finding Mastery with Michael Gervais and getting deeper into mindfulness work. I've noticed that visualization feels a bit like meditation. How would you suggest incorporating this into an existing practice? Should I think about it just as a bonus to add on to my existing practice or are these two things just different flavors of the same thing? Would love to hear how y'all get into the right mindset heading into your big races, particularly in the realm of race day visualization. Perfect. So let me see that. So let's. So the first, the first part of it is visualization kind of feels like meditation. Absolutely. Because when I think of meditation, I think of it's a practice of me refining my skill to direct my awareness to a certain place so whether that's my breath whether that's my third eye whether that's the vision of me executing a race i'm directing my awareness to where i want it to go most of the for most people their awareness is automatically spidied to their thought they don't realize that those are two separate things that the thoughts are separate from the awareness Right? And this is why most people are ruled by their mind. But in, in effect, you can take your awareness and pull it away from the thought and direct it somewhere else. This is why meditation is not about stopping your thoughts. If you think that you have a busy mind, sit down and meditate because we all have busy minds. You are not special. We all have active minds. This is what the mind does. It was designed to analyze and overanalyze and think and contemplate and compare and judge and label and that's what it does it's just it's not bad it's amazing when we use it as the tool that it was meant to be used as so meditation to me is is a practice of again refining my skill to direct my awareness away from a thought and to something else so breath my third eye, whatever. So absolutely, I think that they're very much uh, similar, if not the same thing. You know, meditation is kind of the umbrella and visualization is one of the techniques of meditation. So how to incorporate it into an existing practice. So when it comes to racing, what I do is I have a daily practice of meditation that begins with three breathing exercises. And the breathing exercises that I do, they serve a couple of purposes. One is I like them because the physicality of them is stretching and opening and contracting the muscles that surround my ribs and the lungs themselves, which are just soft muscle. It's just smooth muscle as opposed to skeletal muscle like our biceps or our quads. 
we have skeletal muscle in between our ribs um, in an overlapping pattern. And so I like it because it's now I can focus on, you know, strengthening those muscles and contracting those muscles and stretching them. So I love the physicality of it. The other thing that it does is uh, one of the exercises I do incorporates a long exhale, much longer than the inhale. And the exhale is governed by our healing nervous system. So it puts me, just by extending my exhale longer than my inhale, it puts me into my parasympathetic nervous system. It activates my healing nervous system, which is the calming nervous system, which is where I wanna be for meditation. Especially if I've got a thought, if my mind is hooking itself on a thought over and over and over again. You know, I'm not like, I'm not different than anyone else. Sometimes I will go into a meditation and it's constant every second I have to reset. And then the other thing that I love about the breathing exercises, why they're so effective to start your meditation with that is that it's now, it's now starting to focus your awareness. So it's now starting to, okay, train the mind, train the mind to um, move away from the thought and, and put it on the breath. So focusing my awareness. So it starts to strengthen my ability to concentrate. And if you look at the limbs of yoga, the limb of yoga that precedes meditation is concentration. So most people, when they say meditation, actually are just practicing concentration because true meditation is, you know, is ceasing the fluctuations of the mind. So most of us are still in the fluctuation of the mind. So we're concentrating, we're practicing concentrating and breathing exercises will cover a whole bunch of things. But the most important is that it starts to strengthen your concentration as you move into your meditation practice. So I do that and then I do some other things. Um, but like, for example, for a visualization for a race, what I would do is I would do the breathing exercises and then I would do the, I would go right into the visualization and the visualization, I do it from a couple standpoints. Like when, if I'm race, like for example, Lake Placid, I can take myself through you know, the feel of the water and the look of the sky and the build, because I know that race so well. And if you're listening to this and you are racing Ironman Lake Placid, we actually have a visualization meditation that is on our site and we'll link to it in the show notes. But I know that race inside and out. So I can visualize that so perfectly. A race like what I just did, I didn't know what it was going to look like. So, you know, I said, like, I haven't really studied the course map, but I had an idea. I mean, I've looked at the course map and I know what the woods look like and I know what a trail looks like. So I just kind of imagined it. And I imagined I went through my pre-race morning and I do it from two perspectives. I do it one from where I'm looking through my eyes. And then I do one where I'm looking from above and I'm watching myself go through it. So I do both of those and I, I'll switch them up day to day. But leading into a race, I'll start some solid visualization of the race, you know, to a daily practice of that visualization about two weeks out. And I really dedicate like those two weeks. But leading up to the race, you can never visualize it enough. So visualize yourself going through the finish line and seeing the time that you want to see, like have the goal for sure. It's the attachment that you don't want to, to create. The attachment is what's going to create the disappointment, is what's going to create the post-race depression, the attachment, the ex expectation of how things are going to go. 
So the breathing exercises, then I go right into the visualization. So I go right through race morning, showing up at the race. I see myself and feel myself being very, very calm. I picture myself as calm as I am in the moment of that meditation, showing up to the race and being that calm. If it's a triathlon, I feel myself in my wetsuit. I take it through the swim. And again, you're always gonna see the sky during the swim, so visualize the sky. I see the transitions in vivid, vivid detail. I will do this. If I don't have a lot of time, if I wanna have more time in a meditation space during that practice, I'll do it quick. I'll be like, okay, here's race morning, now I'm doing the swim, now I'm on the bike, now here's the run, the finish line, boom. Like you can do it in a couple of minutes. You can also do it over the course of like a half an hour. So do it in vivid detail for sure and incorporate it right into your practice. And make sure that after you do the visualization, what I like to do is I like to see it kind of all go into like a, a white cloud and then I just send it off, right? And this is how we detach from it. We don't want to get attached to it. So visualize it in vivid, vivid detail, acute detail, like right down to, you know, the nitty gritty. Um, feel the elation of crossing the finish line. Feel the elation of like setting a PR, like winning the race, whatever it is that you're doing. Go there, go big, go big in the visualization and let it go. And then make sure you spend time after that just letting your letting your mind expand just in complete silence and if you find yourself back in that visualization bring your awareness to your breath bring your awareness to your intuitive eye bring your awareness somewhere else because this is the mind trying to attach to it it's like oh i i want that back i want to i want to make it mine it already is yours to have all you can do is visualize it The importance of visualization is something I can't stress enough. There's a lot of scientific research you can check out about it, but what they find in, in, you know, the, the brain activity is that the brain, when you're visualizing the race and, and then let's say the race is actually happening and I'm just applying this to triathlon at this point, the brain is reacting the same exact way in the visualization and then the actual reality of it. So it's, it's very, very, very effective. Now, if you looked at that from the spiritual aspect, from the energetic aspect, it just confirms what I always say is that thoughts are things. They have energy. They have a charge. They have an effect on what you're going to manifest in your life. It is so important to visualize your success. You're training your subconscious so that when you show up to the race, your subconscious is like, oh, this is no big deal. I've done this before. Yeah, this is cool. So I think it really helps to calm you, to calm you down and to visualize your success. I've heard some different, you know, advice from coaches of, you know, but don't just visualize the success, like visualize yourself having a flat tire, visualize it. I don't know if I really agree with that. (laughs) I sound like the guy from Saturday Night Live. You sure about that? I don't really agree with that because thoughts are things. And I, everything is a prayer. And I don't mean that from a religious aspect. I mean that from a very true point of manifestation. That everything you're doing, thinking, acting, saying in a moment is the precursor to what you're creating. So if you're constantly visualizing yourself having flat tires and crashing and all of that, well, you're kind of creating that. 
I'm not a, I, I don't recommend it, but I wouldn't do it. But if it, if it helps you be calm, then go for it. But know that I think you're treading some sticky water there because I do believe that you're, you're manifesting those things. The important thing to do is to visualize yourself as you're having this race, like just the calmness. And when you can do that, when you can really embody that, it doesn't matter what happens because that's going to be your foundational piece of your execution will be, will be calmness. And so that if you do get a flat tire, well, you just, you have a flat tire. So you deal with that. And it's the letting go. Huge, huge importance right there. Like bundle it all up in a cloud or whatever it looks like and send it off because, um, if you attach to it, that's where you start to put yourself in a box and that will be a huge limiter in your performance. Did I answer that? Yeah, I, I wanted to share my perspective from meditation and visualization is I've definitely combined both of them. I take my steady daily practice, which includes 45 minutes mostly, the same with Jess. Uh, sometimes it's 30 minutes, depending on what I can get in. But it always starts with the breath work and, and calming myself and seeing where I am at that point. And then I do a white light, quick white light scan of my body where I start at my toes. And I go all the way and work all the way up the body and flush out all negativity and doubt and anything that I'm trying to help out of my body. And then I fill all that empty space with, with positive thoughts and faith, unwavering faith and belief in, in what I'm trying to do and, and who I want to become. And that's, that's the basis of the meditation. And then I go into letting the thoughts appear, but I don't invite them in. And as our yoga teacher would say, we don't open them. We don't let, invite them down onto the couch and have a conversation with them. We just let them pass by and not give them the attention they, that they truly desire and want. I just watch them go by, invite them in for tea and make friends with them if possible, but just let it go by and, and don't block out the thoughts. And then for race visualization, I like to, I like to, to think about a few things. One is, is the whole race, so the whole race experience. And I liked how Jess talked about looking at it from above and being a participant in it because those are two key elements and two different perspectives and it's good to cover both of them and i take it through the whole day you know i'll take it through the breakfast all the way until the finish when i'm super excited and grateful that i've achieved another uh successful race but i also like to break it down and in some meditations i'll take it to just the swim and i'll be thinking about just the swim i'll think about every stroke and if I have not done the race before, I just think about good moments when I felt really good in the pool. Or I use challenging moments where I've overcome stress or doubt or something that was extremely challenging in the pool and I got through it. And I like to build on those moments in my meditation because it's reinforcing me coming through the other side. So some days I'll focus on just the swim, some days the bike, some days just the run, some days just transitions, some days the whole course, the whole day. And I think it's important to break it up like that because that's also giving you an extreme amount of detail. So it kind of has a dual purpose because you're not only 
becoming more comfortable with your race race day success, but you're also finding out what you need to prepare for. You know, if you need extra, a towel to wipe your feet or you need an extra pair of socks, like the, all these things come up in your meditation. So it's almost, I don't want to say it's a checklist, but it almost br- b- brings your awareness to things that may have been missed because you're just going through the the day of, of what you normally do. Like you're caught up in the mainstream of things when you need to dissect it and really be present in every moment of what will happen on race day. And you know what? That is what adds calmness to your to your pre-race regimen. You know, there's so much stress. There's stress around you. This is what brings you calmness. And if you can remain calm, then you can change a flat tire. Then you can find nutrition that, that will work for you. Then you can find the, the Vaseline to stop the rubbing in those irritated spots. But it's the calmness. You don't necessarily have to think of every single uh, obstacle that may happen. You just need to be aware that you have the ability to be calm and address the issue as it comes up. And that's the way I've approached it, uh, especially for Lake Placid and then most recently Ironman Louisville where I didn't know the course and I only got out on the bike a little bit, but it really helped to just have the experience from Placid, even though I didn't race Placid, just to have the experience of knowing that I'm confident in my calmness come race day, that I will be okay no matter what. And so I do wrap my visualizations many times into my, into my meditation, but it always starts with breath and awareness and then I move into what seems right at the time. I don't have any prescribed schedule which says Wednesday I'm gonna do the swim, Thursday I'm gonna do, that doesn't happen. It's just what comes into my awareness and what I think I need to work on. So I hope that helps, Maggie. I like, I like how you describe, I like how we have different, we got our own deal going on. Yeah, as much time as we spend together. Yeah, and, and, and I one, think we are, just to show like there's no, there's no rules around this. Um, it's what works for you. I think rolling it into your existing practice is great. And know that if you just want to meditate one day and you don't, because sometimes visualization can get exhausting, especially. Yeah, you need a break. Especially if you're yeah. a disciplined athlete, you're like, oh my God, I got to visualize my race again. I just want to sit here and be quiet. Well, then just sit there and be quiet and do your, do your meditation practice. And you can visualize on your commute to work, or you can visualize as you're eating your lunch, or you can visualize as you're walking the dog. Like There's no set environment for mm-hmm. visualization. You can do it as much as you want, but um, do it. I think, you know, there's research behind it, and you can definitely, there's mountains of research behind visualization. And, you know, there's been, there's been research that have been done about people who do strength training, right? And then people who just visualize strength training and the people who just visualize strength training actually increase their muscle mass of course not to the point of the people who are actually lifting the weights and i'm not not saying that this is um the substitute for exercise but i mean it's really powerful stuff everything has an energetic charge and everything that you're doing in this moment right now is the precursor to what you are bringing into your life and we get to choose that we get to choose that every moment. So, yeah, I think we I think we answered Maggie's covered that. Question. Let us know if, if you we didn't. Any... Yeah, please and reach out just to us again. Maggie, as a pro triathlete with the visualization and the meditation, oh, watch out, girl. She <laughs> and plus she's just so she's so talented, and we haven't just um, 
we don't just know that from knowing her. We know it because we've heard it from other people. She's such a talented athlete and she's, I think, got a big future and um, we can't wait to see. And now that she's she's full on yogi triathlete, oh man, I can't <laughs> wait to catch up with her again and feel her vibe in person. Possibilities are endless for endless this yogi. Endless for her, yes. Uh, so last question, Dirk wants to know what's next? Such a Dirk question. Totally. <laughs> Dirk is one of our buddies back in uh, back in Rhode Island. Dirk is a superhero. Yeah, he's, a, he's an action figure. He's unbreakable. He's unreal. He's such a strong dude. Dakota. He's Bruce year. Willis in that movie Unbreakable. Yeah, he's unbelievable. So he uh, wants to know what's next. All right. Well, I'll tell so you what's. what's ne- I'll tell yeah, you what's, what's next. next. Uh, two weeks from today, I'm going to be in the car going up to Santa Rosa to race. Santa Rosa 70.3, half Ironman. So I'm psyched to get back into the triathlon scene, uh, my sweet little triathlon. And uh, I don't want it to feel neglected because I love ultra running. And then after that, we are scheduled to be in Boulder, Colorado for the Boulder Peak Triathlon, which we're super fired up for. And we'll be spending some time there, probably doing some interviews and things like that. And then um, I'm going to do Lake Hodges 50K on October 28th, which is a local race here in San Diego. So another 50K trail race. And that will give me the summer to, you know, jump into different things if I want to. I don't have a huge strict schedule. BJ and I are in the process of working on a really humongous life-changing project which we're not ready to release yet but it will give me some time to stay dedicated and focused to that um and yeah i'll be doing another 50k there's also the 50k in catalina which i'm eyeing which i think is in january or december and i hear that's really really awesome and it's tough and um those things kind of make me drool so yeah i'm i'm so in on the ultra running world we were looking at sneakers last night and bj was ordering a new pair of sneakers uh or going to be ordering a new pair of sneakers for you know for racing this year and he said do you need a pair and i'm like I just don't think I need to be investing in road shoes at this point. So we'll just see how long those road shoes, how long they get me. And um, loving my trail shoes. By the way, I'm running in ultra superior twos. And they're for, I, I can't believe there's a, there's a shoe like this on this earth. It is just amazing. I love, love, love those shoes. No issues. What First race in 12 years where I haven't gotten a blister. And my feet were soaking wet. So... Awesome. Yeah, they work well for me. Very right. cool. I think I just want to wrap up with um, just a big congrats to our two Boston Marathon finishers, Liz and Amy. Way to rock it, guys. Mm-hmm. That was a very hot, challenging day, it seemed, out there on the course. And they both finished. And uh, I just want to say that I'm so proud of them and can't wait to see what's next. Yeah. All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this download. I'm probably not going to write a race report other than the blog post that will accompany this. So if you have any more questions about the race, please let us know. Make a comment on the post or reach out to us on any of our social outlets. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening to the show, sharing it with your friends, supporting us through using the Amazon banner ad and the Patreon page. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate uh, the love and hopefully you can feel that we are giving it right back to you. 